0: Good morning to you all. I'm Pastor Evan. I'm delighted that you're here. Hope you're excited to open God's Word with me this morning. I've been excited all week to do this. I found this, uh, Malachi 2 is where we're going to go, and I invite you to find Malachi 2 starting at verse 17. Um, I have, I found it a challenge to do this week, but in such a good way. And while you're finding Malachi 2, it's going to go into chapter 3 as well. Two things that uh, I need to note as announcements. One, I failed to mention, and it didn't go out in the emails this week, but kids, if you're in the room, which I know you are paying attention, this is the last week for summer prizes, so it's okay if you take like three when you come up and talk to me. It's one of these wonderful things that we've been doing the past couple summers. I have a lot of fun, and if we ever wonder where things like when we take the offering and that this is one of the things that it goes towards is that kids then get to interact during our worship service in a unique way. Isn't that a good thing? It's a wonderful thing that we get to contribute to. Um, the other thing is, because um, you all love them so much, the notebooks that we got last week and put stickers on and uh, for sermon notes and other such things, they're gone quickly, and I wasn't able to get replacements fast enough. Um, so sorry. But they'll be here on Monday. So if you stop by Monday, you can get one. Um, but they'll be around for the, the, uh, after that, and you can pick them up. They're free. Um, if you're a guest with us, grab one. Sorry, I'll have to come back next week. We'd love to have you here. Um, you can grab the stickers, too. Um, And if you need to take sermon notes today, just write it on your hand, and if you run out of room, grab your neighbor's hand, and you'll be good to go. Malachi 2, starting at verse 17. Here we go. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. One of my favorite stories still from my kids growing up, we were living in Colorado at the time, in Colorado Springs, and everything there is on a hill, so we literally lived downhill from our neighbor. We weren't at the very top of where the hill went, but we weren't at the bottom for sure. We were on our way to the top. We were getting there. But um, our neighbors at their patio could look down into our yard, onto our, uh, into our backyard, and we had a little play set where our two daughters were up there at the time playing, and they could see basically making eye contact directly over the fence to the two neighbor girls that were the same age. And it was a family it was a single mom that lived next door. We'd been trying to reach her with the gospel. She'd been coming to Alpha with us. So She was spiritually uh, interested and hungry, and the kids were too. you could tell. And so you have my two daughters yelling across the fence to their two daughters. They have the Jesus storybook Bible open and telling the story of Jesus from the Jesus storybook Bible, absolutely adorable to hear. And the kids on the other side of the yard yelling back, well, why did Jesus do that? What's he doing there? Why is that? And they're interacting, sharing the gospel over the fence. And it was just so fun to watch. And it's a reminder, first of all, as we begin, that the story of Jesus is one that even a five-year-old can share, right? We were in trouble without Jesus Christ, and he rescued us. That's the story that was being shared across the fence. We were alienated from God and needed to be brought back in relationship, and only Jesus could do that. It's the only way. But what strikes me about that is that there was a literal barrier in the way between those two. And I know working with that family, there was a metaphorical barrier, too, that was there. And both of those things matter. And and it's interesting, when we talk to people who don't know Jesus, when we talk to people who are far from God, and maybe you are this morning, and this message is for you as well, as for those who are close to God, it's for all of us, we recognize that we grow up, we're still living in a culture that's Christian-ish. Whatever arguments we want to make about where it was and where it's going, right now we still have a legal and moral structure that still resembles some of that now perhaps we walked far away from that when it comes to sexual morality especially in the 60s and beyond we've got problems there and we've walked away from i'd say biblical truth there quite far but you could still talk to your average person around whether they know god or not and even if murder were taken off the books, they'd still say that's morally wrong for the most part. So it's still there. It's still it's still in us somehow that that is kind of there. But we end up living a lot of half truths in our Christianish culture. And we've talked about these before uh, this summer, even that we live in a culture where people are kind of in, in, invested in just being happy and just being kind of good enough, and that's good enough for life. That's a good enough goal for some reason. That. Uh, people live with this idea that God exists, and giving lip service to that is enough. That we live in a culture where um, there is truth. We're kind of in a redefinition of that in many people's minds, but it's pretty personal. Unless, of course, it's a justice issue, then it's not, but it's pretty personal still. And yet, in that culture, in that Christianist culture, we have people who are more lonely, more depressed, more anxious, More isolated than I'd say we have been in quite a while. We're not better for it. We're not happier for it. We're not more joyful for it. And we are not living God's best. We're not living as God intended us to live, as God designed us to live. I'd suggest to you that that very world is very similar to what we run into in the book of Malachi. And in this passage, we kind of get to a high point in a sense. It's a judgment moment, although there's more of that coming by the end. It's a courtroom scene that comes up. And we're actually not going to capitalize on the courtroom part of it as much. We're going to talk a little bit more about the day of the Lord, that sort of thing, in a couple weeks. But the people in the days of Malachi have a Moses-ish faith. If we're in a Christian-ish world, they have a Moses-law-ish like faith. They know the basics of what it's supposed to look like. They're kind of functioning like that, but not really, not fully. They're kind of Israel-ish. They're kind of Judah-ish, but they're not living God's intent for his covenant people. They're not living to their fullest by any means. They're just sort of playing the part and real half-heartedly. And what you see is that they've bought into a lot of other voices that have been calling at them, yelling at them to live a different way. And that's always happening to all of us, all throughout history that's been happening. It happens to us too. Voices are always calling us, telling this is right, or this is right, or this is right, calling at us and pulling us in different directions. We're always responding to the voices around us. And some of those voices are calling us in the right direction and some are calling the wrong direction. And one of the key questions that we can think of today is, are you able to discern God's voice among the noise? Of all those competing voices, because they call out to us, and when we listen to the wrong voices, we're formed with the wrong virtues. I'm using that in quotation marks because they're not virtues. We're formed with the wrong character. We're given the wrong direction, we're given the wrong habits, and we end up having the wrong identity. And we end up having a destiny that's not worth it. And what I want us to hear as we look at this passage this morning, and we're really looking ahead in so many ways to the New Testament and to today, as we look at this, I want us to recognize that God gives us opportunities for restoration. God gives us opportunities for restoration. Yeah, that's what God's doing in Malachi. That's what God is doing in Jesus, which we'll point to today. And we've got those opportunities even this morning for restoration. And as we consider that, I want us to think back to the original story that I was talking about, the wall that's there. Sometimes walls block us. Some of us even come into a place like this with walls up. We have distractions all around. Some of us uh, are distracted by things, even this morning in our minds. But never let a wall or distraction keep you from God's invitation back to him. That's what I want us to hear this morning. And so this passage, the verse 1 of chapter 3, we read of three messengers, actually. There's only two, two listed, but I'm going to add the third because Malachi is the one delivering the word of the Lord. He's the third messenger. And we, we can start with that. Malachi is the first messenger. Malachi means messenger, surprisingly. And he's reminding them that God established his covenant with you guys so that you'd be a blessing to the rest of the world. That Israel would be a blessing to all. That's the point. That's what God was doing through the priests and Levites, through the people that have now come back from exile. And the message that we've heard so far in Malachi is God saying, I have loved you, but you haven't loved me. I've been faithful to you, but you haven't been faithful to me. Through and through, God says, I've been faithful to my covenant, my promise with you. You haven't returned that faithfulness. And then here, this morning, we see that it says, I am good and just. I am right and true. And what's your message back to me? You're telling me that what is good is actually bad. And what is unjust is actually just. And by saying those things, you're saying, I'm bad and I'm unjust. That's what Malachi is telling the people. And God says, now you're going to be called to task for that. Because there will be a remnant who's faithful to my covenant going forward. Then the second messenger, that's the one. It says, I will send my messenger in chapter uh, verse 1. I'll send my messenger who's going to prepare the way. Now, spoiler alert, that's John the Baptist. And, and this is one of those, this is one of the few passages out of Malachi. It's in fact the only passage out of Malachi that we ever read out of Malachi, uh, usually, uh, at Advent. We even sang an Advent song this morning. Loved it. Um, thinking, you know, as we prepare for the coming of Jesus during that Advent season. And we read about John the Baptist usually at that that time. John the Baptist, he's the second messenger. Uh, John the Baptist, when he came on the scene, he looked a little crazy. He had a strange diet. He wore strange clothes. He lived in a strange place. And he got a lot of people that came out to look at him and figure out what's this guy doing out in the middle of nowhere, eating this weird stuff, doing this stuff. And and what's interesting in, in all that skepticism and when John comes on the scene, John comes on the scene at the end of what we often refer to as the 400 years of silence. So at the end of Malachi, you notice that the next thing in your Bible is Matthew. There's a big, long historical gap when there's really no prophecy written down, nothing like that in our Bibles. We often refer to that as the 400 years of silence. Now, things happened in the history of Israel. Uh, if you ever looked at in the, the Apocrypha, you can see some of those. We don't consider those uh, part of the canon and, and the God-inspired Word of God, but uh, they are historically interesting. A lot happened in those almost 400 years. You know, Alexander the Great comes through and reshapes the ancient world, which really paves the way for the gospel to spread, by the way. Um, there's the desecration of the temple after the changing of hands of Jerusalem by different rulers and people. The Maccabean Revolt happens, still celebrated in Israel today. There's a Roman conquest. And then finally, at that point, John the Baptist comes on the scene. A lot's happened during that time, but there's a sort of period of silence as far as the prophets go, as far as God sending his messengers during that time. And so when John comes, there's there's a little bit of a surprise there. And John comes with this baptism of repentance and forgiveness and some people hear the message some people hear the message that uh, uh the the term that we have in our, our text here in malachi was the lord almighty you heard it twice yahweh should i the god who's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish because he's mighty to do it yahweh should i god almighty accomplishes what he wills the remnant is there they're willing to hear when the messenger finally comes and there were Levites and there were priests who got faithful through that time and remained faithful through that time. So people actually expected God to act, even when it seemed like he'd been pretty quiet for a while. I can think of people like Anna and Simeon, who waited at the temple to see the Messiah. And they were blessed with that, finally, even if, even if just as an infant. Mary and Joseph themselves, unexpectedly, God answers, but they were faithful and ready For when God spoke, regular people heard a message they weren't expecting to happen at that time, even the disciples. Oh, the Messiah is finally here. Okay, we were waiting for this. Now I'm going to respond. That second messenger comes, and they're listening. And and I want to point something out here, because I know we're getting a little bit away from the text, but I think this is important to recognize. The 400 years of silence were silent, but they really weren't the people still had God's word. And really, they tightened up, in a sense, to try and figure out how to be faithful with God's word during that time. They still had God's word. It was alive and active among the people. And even when we feel like God is quiet in our lives, God's not actually quiet. God's speaking loud and clear if we'll only hear. His word is still alive and active today. Do you believe it? It's still alive and active today, ready for us if we'll only listen. John the Baptist comes on the scene, that second messenger. Some people were ready for the message, others were skeptical. And I want to pick out two from the crowd and not spend a lot of time on them, but they're always so fascinating. Of course, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I think the Pharisees a little more often. But if we look at these two groups of people, these were people who actually were devoted in one way or another to the Word. You know, if you look at the, the upsides of the Sadducees, um, they were very much devoted to the written Word the law, the prophets what we call the Old Testament, basically. They tried to follow that. They had some different ideas that they came up with along the way, different theological understandings, perhaps, but they stuck to those. Anything beyond those, in fact, they said, we don't want to listen to that. We don't want to listen to what the rabbis have been saying or what others have been commenting on. We just want the written word that's been put on the page now. The downside for the Sadducees is that they were so devoted to taking care of the temple That's an upside, but that's all they wanted to do, and so they ended up being culturally compromised and kind of compromising with the Roman uh, overseers at the time. And that cultural compromise piece, I want to point out that without realizing it, some of us are actually in that camp. Though we might read the Bible, we can't hear God's voice as clearly as we think we can because we've developed our worldview through other sources far too often we've listened to the voices calling into us around whether politics money power status identity whether news movies media those things have actually shaped our worldview more than the bible and so though we read it we actually let other voices speak louder And just like the Sadducees, and for that matter the Pharisees we'll look at in a moment, we can sometimes look very biblical but not be very faithful. God has given us his word. And what God has given us is good through our actions. If we ignore it, we actually call it bad or at minimum useless. We're in control, not God. The Pharisees actually probably, I think, were a little better on this. And we have to recognize that uh, the Pharisees were kind of seen as the spiritual superheroes of their day. We, we badmouthed them pretty well in the church. There were some good Pharisees for sure. On the whole, though, they generally didn't meet up to the standard. But the way that most people interacted with the Pharisees in their day is like a lot of us interact with the gym in our day where we don't want to go there because that's where all the healthy fit people are and we're like, I'm a little bit pudgy to go to the gym so I don't want to go there because I'm going to feel bad. Thank you for that. And that's how a lot of people felt in front of the Pharisees. I couldn't possibly do what they're doing. They're too spiritually out there. They're really faithful. That's on the positive side. They knew God's word through and through. But the downside is they weren't really concerned about the faith of anybody else but themselves. And their faith was so practical, it was impractical when you get down to it. Sometimes they were so stuck on the tradition and the mechanics of following things that it wasn't, they really missed the point and they missed God's work right in front of them. But they looked really faithful. It's sort of like if we're on our way to Bible study and we could stop to help somebody but we don't want to be late to Bible study so we don't stop to help somebody on the way. Or it's like if we're involved in a project at work or just in work mode and one of our coworkers has a real need and we have the opportunity to share the love of Christ in a way that we wouldn't otherwise have but we're so in work mode that we're like I can't deal with that right now. Or it can hit us in in bigger ways, corporate ways, like the church. I remember visiting a church years ago. I was clearly the only visitor uh, in the place out of about 30 people. The sermon was on, um, reaching out to those who don't know Christ, especially being hospitable to those who come to church as a guest. I was clearly the only guest. I could discern this from context. And when they went to break up in their small groups to discuss the sermon about reaching out to others, especially those who are guests in the church, I asked the group next to me, so how do you do this? Do you have assigned groups? Can I just join your group? And they're like, I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Sometimes we can get so stuck on the mechanics that we miss the point, and the tradition that we miss the point. And all of us get distracted at times and don't hear God. All of us, myself included. Some of us are just plain lost. We don't know the Lord at all. Our sinfulness and or our distraction could be both take us from God's presence. And God sends messengers so that we'll hear and come close again. And it's the third messenger that's the most important here. It's the messenger of promise, the one even the text says, and I hope this is, Uh, your heart today, the one whom you desire. Are you hungry for the third messenger this morning? The one whom you desire will come. When Jesus does come on the scene, he gives an invitation right away. I don't know if you've ever paid attention, especially if you have like a red letter Bible or you're reading it online with a red letter edition to the first words of Jesus and each of the gospels. It's always fun to see what the first thing he says is. In the Gospel of Mark, I'll read what he says there, Mark 1:14 and 15. It says, after John, so that's the second messenger, John the Baptist, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe, Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Mark, that is, turn from all those things that block you from what God is doing and it's right in front of you now turn from all those things repent and now believe he's actually up to it the thing we've been waiting for the restoration of the world is happening right now before your midst turn from anything that would distract you from that and take you from that repent turn believe that it's happening Jesus comes and he proclaims guess what I'm the way the truth and the life And yet, some of you are trying to find life in other places. You're trying to find a way in another place, and it's not going to work. Jesus comes, he says, I am the living water. You're going to constantly go through life searching and thirsty unless you come to me and drink what I have to offer. And then, guess what? You'll be satisfied nothing else will satisfy. Jesus comes on the scene and he says the thief comes to steal and destroy and that's what he's good at and that's what he's going to do in your life and mine but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly as it was intended. God gives us opportunities for restoration. It only comes through Jesus Christ ultimately but he's constantly inviting us. To that restoration repent and believe and there are constantly things that will try and block us and distract us from that things that we put up ourselves things that others put up around us do not let a wall or distraction keep you from god's invitation back to him as you consider that consider this simple question what blocks you from hearing god's message of restoration through jesus what blocks you from that? And I want to share a story of somebody who saw through that, who was able to get through the barrier that lasted for a long time. I had the honor on Friday of doing the funeral of Mike Coonhart. Now, Mike was a part of our congregation for seven years, but he was out for the past two. With, you know, he didn't have COVID. He was very concerned about COVID, so he stayed home for the last couple of years. He had some health concerns that came with that, rightly so. Um, but it was seven years ago that he actually came to us, and he came to us because, uh, and I, I talked to Carol LaFeber about this, about sharing this, and we both felt this was a great testimony. Carol's husband, John, passed away seven years ago. Many of you were there at the funeral here in this place. It was full. Mike is Carol's cousin. Mike was here, and sitting over here. I remember it. And Mike talked to me afterwards, and he said, this is the third funeral I've been to in a very short period of time. I feel like God might be telling me it's time to get my act together. And I didn't realize the fullness of what that meant at the time until the last couple weeks, really. I mean, both Carol and I have talked. We know that um, I thought he had just come back to the Lord at that point, but he actually made a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ in the wake of that funeral. And it was Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me that did that. He responded to God's invitation. And I remember a couple weeks later, after knowing that that he had turned back to the Lord, not realizing it was the first time he'd turned to the Lord at that point, um, he comes into my office a couple weeks later, and he says, hey, I found this Bible in my house. It's been sitting there for a while. Can you tell me how to use it? Pastor's dream, right? Right. And and frankly, if you follow Jesus Christ, this should be all of our dream that we would meet people so spiritually hungry that we get to walk with them. So we talked through that. We were talking about baptism. He was talking about that. And you could tell that something had turned on within Mike. This spiritual hunger, this new creation was being formed within him, even at that early stage. And it kept going on. And I didn't realize until I was sitting at the reception this week that I was talking to another relative who, said, uh, who also follows Jesus, who said, yeah, we'd been praying for him for a while and talking about Jesus for years and years and years, and he always said, that's wonderful, that's good for you, that's not for me. He had those walls and those barriers up. But thanks be to God that he allowed God to get in. He was changed. He was transformed simply by a response to God's invitation. And now he has that testimony for you. God's restoration through Jesus Christ is available today. If you're far from him, repent, believe, turn to him in confession, and begin life abundant, forgiven. Let's pray together. Yahweh Shaddai, Lord Almighty. Yours is a message of restoration. Too often, we live lives of distraction, though. We think you are unjust when we don't get our way. We treat the things you created good as if they were curses, not blessings. And even when we don't go so far as to call bad what you've made good, We treat your good creation with indifference. You created with a word and we can ignore what you've created far too easily. We put up walls and barriers to your work and word around us and thus proclaim through our actions that you have nothing to offer. But God, you are our salvation the one thing needful, the only thing we are created for is to worship you and be in close communion with you. And until we say yes to your presence, we live in constant need and loss. Give each of us life abundant through your son Jesus today. Break down walls and barriers that we've put in place and make the message of your salvation our life story today. Amen.